This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Julie Lee is a wife, mother, podcast host, and public speaker. She's working on a book that will be released this September titled I See You. She grew up in Springville, Utah, one of seven kids. She attended BYU and taught second grade in the public school system. She lives in Spanish Fork, Utah, currently with her husband, Rob, and their two kids. She loves reading, playing board games, yoga, and meditating. So I'd like to welcome our listeners and welcome Julie onto the podcast. Thanks, Julie, for being here with me. Thank you. It's an honor. I'm happy to be here. It's probably weird being on the other side, right? It's a little less, it's kind of nice and relaxing, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to start off, can you share perhaps one experience from your past that serves as a type of anchor for you in your testimony? Absolutely. And there's one experience that comes to the forefront of my mind. And that is a time when we'll talk a little bit about my struggle with mental health in this interview. But there was a time when it was my mental health was really in a rough place. And I was up in the middle of the night, which happened pretty often. It was hard for me to sleep with the amount of anxiety and severe depression I was going through. And I was listening to church music and I was trying to do anything to just feel the spirit. It's very difficult to feel the spirit when you're that severely depressed. Um, And I was really struggling with just the amount of suffering I was feeling and just the idea of human suffering in general. Um, I was, I was thinking about everything. I was thinking about the Holocaust. I was thinking about the terrible things that happened to children. I was just in a place where, you know, where you ask, is any of this really all real, this gospel, I believe in this God, because I don't feel you anywhere near, um, just kind of questioning everything. And I knelt down. It was more like, I think my face was just flat in the carpet, just half knelt, half laid down on the ground, uh, because I was just so fatigued mentally, emotionally, every way. And I just, I begged my Heavenly Father to to let me know. I said, you know, either the atonement of Jesus Christ is really so incredibly powerful that it's something I can't understand, because I can't understand how something could make all of this okay eventually. So really, it is the most incredible thing that's happened in the history of mankind, or this is all a lie, and I don't want to do this anymore. And I begged to have him help me, to witness to me that it was true. I had the most spiritual experience of my life, and I won't share all the details of it, but I will say that um, I, I felt that I knew that I was not alone in that room. And I gained a testimony of not only the atonement, but of uh, the next life and of the power that our family members who have gone beyond the veil have to be angels for us here on earth. And that has been a huge anchor for me um, in the years that came after. That's a really beautiful experience. I was tearing up as you shared that. I think it's often in our most painful experiences that we get to, if we're willing to experience that that depth and the breadth of God's love for us. But we almost have to 
be in that low place to really ask with that type of intent. So I appreciate you sharing that because I think we hope that we don't have to be compelled to have that kind of experience. Um, But I think our Savior and our Heavenly Father and those beyond the veil want us to experience that kind of love and to seek for that. Thank you for sharing that. That's a that's a tender experience. Tell me a little bit about your your formative years and also your family of origin and how those relationships have shaped some of your experience. I grew up the six of seven children and my parents were very gung-ho about the gospel. They believed it, they knew it, they loved it. And they did their absolute best and they loved their kids. It was also a challenging environment to grow up in um, for some reasons. My dad was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was three. And while on the outside, you know, we were doing a lot of the things that you think of a good Mormon family as doing, um, there was a lot of pain in our household. There was a lot of, my father was severely depressed most of my life and It was not always a happy place, a happy home to be. And it was my normal. My dad got sick when I was really little, so I never knew things as different. Some of my siblings saw things a little differently that were older than me and experienced what it was like before, but I didn't. And so for me, my perspective of what the gospel meant was a little skewed. The joy we talk about having in the gospel through the atonement of Christ did not ring true to me because I didn't necessarily always see that example in my own home uh, because I saw my dad doing the things he was supposed to and, and not feeling joy. And so that was confusing for me, but it was also my normal. And so that confusion really didn't um, start to kind of internally make havoc in my life until, until my early 20s. So you've already alluded to this, but you've had to navigate the rocky road of living with some mental health issues yourself. Tell us when those started to manifest and how your faith has helped you manage and learn from that challenge in your life. When I was 21 years old, my husband and I, we moved out of state away from all of our family. I was doing a student teaching experience and he was at an internship. We were in our final year of college at Brigham Young University, I worked with a very toxic mentor teacher that did not like me, which I was not used to. I was used to impressing my professors, and I've always been really outgoing and happy and bubbly, and um, I just thought, surely I can work hard enough to, to like, have this woman like me, and that didn't, that was not the case, and I ended up working myself into a complete panic attack, and that was the first I'd ever experienced And as you can imagine, having watched what I did growing up, when I left my home and I married someone that I had quizzed and made sure had no mental health issues, it was pretty terrifying for me to see this in myself, that I was capable of of having my mental health kind of break down. So I started having panic attacks, which led into some pretty severe depression. And that was just the beginning of I don't know, a seven, eight year journey of getting on and off medication in and out of counseling. And finally, years into it, finding a therapist that specialized in childhood trauma, which is something I did not know I needed. She started peeling back the layers and kind of landed on a landmine 
and we started discussing some of the experiences I had growing up, the kind, some of the things I believed about what happiness meant, um, what depression meant, what God meant, what the atonement meant. I had really skewed ideas about that. And um, it, she, she started looking at my symptoms, my flashbacks, my nightmares, you know, where I'd wake up and I couldn't get out of it. And I'd have to just go sit in the shower and repeat to myself over and over again that it wasn't real. She said it looked a lot like symptoms of PTSD while I was never given that official diagnosis. And so during all of this, I, of course, questioned whether there was a God and why he didn't save me. And I expressed to him a lot of anger that I had at him. And the best thing about being angry with God is that he can handle it. I learned there was a time in my therapist's office where she asked me if I was angry at God. And I immediately said, no, no, of course not. She said, "Okay, well, it's okay if you are, though. And I remember I went downstairs and I sat in my car and I just lost it and I cried and I said to him I'm so mad at you I'm so mad that you let all of this happen you know I've tried to live my life in a good way I've I've done everything I could to create my own family where there will be happiness and depression will never enter again and I don't feel like I'm deserving of, of what I'm dealing with right now which feels like a life and death situation and I had the most incredible peace come which is interesting, um, but I learned there that um, Heavenly Father, it felt like he was saying, I know you're mad. Thank you for being honest with me finally. Now I can help you, but you have to be real with me. You know, and, you know, in my faith, it's been interesting. I remember a time when the depression was so bad. I remember laying on my bathroom floor. This was years later when I had two kids that were, you know, playing in the living room and laying on the dirty bathroom floor because that's where I could get a moment of silence to pray and just begging for Christ to come so that I could touch his cloak that I could be healed to touch his robe and I feel like I had the faith to do it I feel like I had the same faith I had that night where I had that spiritual experience that the atonement of Christ was real and he didn't come he didn't come that day and that was hard for me that he that he wouldn't come but he did start sending angels into my life and there were people that showed up in ways that I couldn't deny. They would just feel like they needed to come to my house. I had sister missionaries stop at my door who had been searching for a house to visit and they couldn't feel like any of them were right until they came to me 15 minutes after I'd said a prayer to be able to feel that Heavenly Father saw me, that he loved me. And the healing that I've experienced through the Savior and through his atonement is that for the same things I used to hate myself for, I, I really love myself for and I'm very proud of and I'm, I've been able to use to bring people to Christ. And I have a hard time saying that phrase, you know, I'm grateful for it. That's, I'm not, maybe I'm not quite humble enough yet for that, but I will say that I, I'm so happy to be where I am and I wouldn't change where I am for anything for the the love that I've been able to feel from Christ and that I've been able to extend to others well that piece that you had communicated about feeling like God couldn't handle your anger I think that's really important for all all of us <laughs> to get to a point where we believe that God can can handle the mess and that he stays in the mess with us and that he can he can handle just the the array of human emotion that we feel and so thank you for sharing that experience because i've heard other people say that 
that I don't, I don't feel like I can be real with God. <laughs> um, but I think that when we bring those walls down, that that's when he can work his magic with us, right? All, all of us in our brokenness and our woundedness, he can take us in whatever mess we're in and love us right where we are at. But we have to bring that mess to him before he can start putting it back together. Now, you had talked um, about your father and and the difficulty watching him experience mental illness and lacking the joy in the gospel. How did that, I'm curious, how did that progress in his life and how did that impact his relationship with the church? Yeah, so um, he continued to be faithful through the church. It was the atonement of Christ. You know, he couldn't find any medication that worked for him, any therapy that he felt like worked. And so he said his medication was the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's how he chose to live. And to he was suicidal at times, but that is what that um, kept him here. And then he did ev- eventually find some medication that worked uh, when I be you know as I became an adult with kids. He found something, and it was not too long after I don't know a year or two that I received a text message that he sent to our whole family. And my dad is, I mean, people call him Elder Holland when he speaks and when he teaches. He know he's a very learned man when it comes to the church. He has read all the books. He knows the scriptures like, like nobody I know personally. And his testimony was unwavering. And I received a text message from him telling us all that he had removed his name from the records of the church and that he was done. And that was very shocking to all of us, as you can imagine. I told my husband I would be less shocked right now if he had killed a man. I really would. And I I just remember opening my phone and seeing that text message and just saying no, 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 and shaking. And I threw my phone across the room. I hadn't even finished the text message, but my body, I felt out of control suddenly. Just I couldn't even, my body was physically reacting to the shock. Um. And, and partly, I think, because I had worked so hard to maintain my faith through years of, of the, the anxiety and depression that I was, you know, constantly trying to figure out and to deal with those childhood experiences that then to have him who was part of those experiences, but had held on for so long to have him become an atheist, that was pretty shocking and was another chapter for me to solidify my faith and what I believed personally. And I had to get really good at separating things. I had to get really good at looking back at experiences where I had heard him teach and I had felt the spirit. He had given me countless blessings where I had felt physical feelings from the spirit. That was confusing to me. But I had to get really good at looking and understanding what this what does the spirit mean? The spirit will always testify of truth, no matter who's saying it, no matter what their beliefs are. And in those moments, he did believe it. And the spirit was with him and he did know it then. And he's told me that since, since he's left the church, that he really felt like it was true. And I believe him 100%. But he no longer feels that anymore. And I have had to shift uh, what the church means to me, what the gospel means to me, and have it be a separate thing from some of those experiences and 
and just navigate it a little bit differently. I've had to start over a little, um, just for my own mental and emotional health as well. My father's experience and mine have been very different, and I can't look at his and say that I know exactly what he's felt. No, we can't do that for each other, but I can make my own choices. And for me, while I've had my doubts about, I've had plenty of doubts about deity and about the gospel, about the church, I have never been able to find anything else that has brought me so much joy and peace and gratitude in my life. I I have found so many elements of truth in so many places, in Buddhism, in Brene Brown, uh, not to compare her to a religion, but she kind of is, right? There's so much (laughs) truth out there, and it's beautiful. And it always brings me back here, because truth is truth, and the Spirit testifies of truth. No matter what church it's in, it's going to testify that something is true. That's one of its the Holy Ghost jobs. And so this is the life I choose. I choose to be in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. I love it. And it has never let me down. The doctrine has never let me down. There will always be people that make decisions that maybe you can feel feel let down by. But Christ has never let me down and God has never let me down. And the more truth I find, the more secure it makes me in my own testimony that this is the Lord's true gospel of Jesus Christ. One thing that I love about you, Julie, is that you've taken so much pain and struggle and you've brought so much goodness to the world as a result. Um, As we've already noted, you have a podcast all about really seeing others. So tell us more about what it means to you to really see someone and what the stories of those you've interviewed has taught you about this concept. I think what it really means to see someone is to connect with them, to create a human connection with them and to have compassion on them for their individual circumstances. I think it's being willing to sit with people in their pain, being willing to allow uncomfortable negative emotions, be okay with that. And I think we need that so badly. I think we are living in a time where there are a billion ways to be disconnected or to engage in false connection virtually that's not filling the need that we as humans have for human connection. Brene Brown, she says, we are wired for human connection, real-time face-to-face connection. And I think it's something that we're lacking, and I think that we are seeing the results of that in the increase in anxiety and depression and suicide. And I think it's becoming everybody's problem. I think suicide is becoming every group of people's problem, not just our youth, not just um, LGBT. It's becoming everybody's problem. And I think that the solution to that is to truly see each other. There are people in my life that have done that for me, that have showed up for me, that have knocked on my door and sat with me. There's a woman in my ward that came across the street. She's in her 60s. And she held me like a child while I cried. And while that didn't fix all my problems, that didn't get me the medication that I needed, it gave me a piece of light that I could hang on for another minute, another day. And that's what we need to be showing each other. There are so many good resources out there to use, but we need to have people reminding us that we're worth it and people that are willing to witness our life. Because if we're alone, if we're isolated, then that's when Satan can really get to us. I had a therapist once tell me, well, once ask me, 
How did the pioneers do it? How did they go through these awful heart-wrenching experiences, burying their spouses, burying their children, enduring horrific climate and physical fatigue and exhaustion, starvation? How did they do it? I didn't have an answer for her. And she said, it's because they did it together. They were all burying people together. They were starving together. They were pushing together. And so now Satan has found a way to get us isolated because he knows that when we're together as a group of saints, as people, we're unstoppable. But if he can get us by ourselves to believe his lies through addiction, through anxiety, depression, pornography, comparison, uh, lacking our self-worth, then we're just alone. And depression, isolation, it's a very demanding mistress and it wants us alone. Because then we don't have people around to bounce our thoughts off of, to check ourselves with, is this true? I'm kind of feeling this way. We don't have that reality check. And we can start believing things that aren't reality. We can start believing Satan's lies. That really rang true to me. And that's just one step on my journey where I had this drive and I felt myself being called by the Lord to help people see each other. And that's why my podcast has been so special because not only do I share parts of my story, but I also am able to share other people's story with the perspective of look at all of these people that are so different from each other, that come from such different walks of life and listen to how other people saved their life with compassion, with connection. And that is the point that I drive home on that podcast is we need each other so badly right now. There is no time for comparing, for worrying, for being embarrassed about knocking on someone's door and asking how they're doing. There's just no time for it. There's no space for that. We need to be seeing each other. And it creates a beautiful life. I love my life. When I started to shift and to get really comfortable with my struggles and being open about them and allowing people, giving them the permission to do the same, my life is so much better. And that's how it is when we act as Christ would act and we bear each other's burdens and we're open with who we are and we're unashamed. We are trying to embody Christ and our life is going to get better. And I've seen that happen in my own life. It's deeper, it's richer, it has more meaning. And that's what I advocate for on my podcast podcast is that compassion and connection saves lives because I watched it happen and not from far away, not from a distance, distant view, but, but close up right in front of me. I watched it happen to me. And so I know that it's true. And I always joke, I always say, I'm right about this. So I don't care. I'm going to say till the day I die that I am right about this. And you are, I will give an amen to that sister. Hallelujah. (laughs) Well, and I love Brene Brown, what she says about the importance of connection. My family's backstory, there's a lot of addiction in my family's story, and that's shaped a lot of my life. And Brene Brown says that the opposite of addiction is connection. And so I think that's true with all the challenges that we face, that if we can bring people in closer, whether we're in pain or they're in pain, that's when we can start to heal And also, it's in our vulnerability, another Brene Brownism, it's in our vulnerability that we find our strength. People don't want to expose themselves, afraid of showing weakness, but it's actually just the opposite. And when we can be authentic, 
show our real selves, including our our weakness and our our strength that we that we can become who we were truly meant to be and help those around us best. And so I think the culture is shifting a bit in the church and we're learning to be more authentic and transparent. Like I'm seeing that in pockets and I see that gradually in our meetings and in our associations with one another. But how can we do this better in the church? And how do you think learning this skill can help us be better disciples of Christ? I agree. I think the church is doing so many good things to really bring authenticity to the meetings. I think that there's just so many good things happening. You know, we compliment each other a lot on on seeming okay when we're not okay. I hear compliments a lot, like even even to me, and I've been very open with my struggles. I'm so impressed by you. I never would have known. While I think that has good intention behind it, I think that we as a culture need to stop glorifying the idea of pretending to be okay. I think that it's really important that we put positivity around being humble enough to come to church where we all need Christ and being open. I don't think that means that we need to be victims to our situation. Certainly not. I think that it means we're being honest with the Lord and with each other because then we can really start helping each other. If I don't know what's going on with my neighbor, how can I help them? And so I think that ditching that attitude that maybe some of us have taken on, I know I certainly have, of the way that I appear at church and wanting to appear in a state of perfectionism and some cookie cutter mold that I have I've put pressure to be like on myself. I think that we're going to start seeing even more miracles and we're really going to start more easily being able to obey the law of consecration, of becoming one, of bearing each other's burdens and and congratulating each other in our successes and being honest and an open people who love each other without condition, without condition upon how we appear and whether we have it all together or not but love each other for the fact that we are fellow children of God and that we are each so special to him and so important. And we both have very individual missions to complete and we don't need to be threatened by each other. We don't need to be trying to race against each other. There was a talk in a BYU address about comparison that I loved. And he said, the big lie is that we're against each other in this race. And that's not true. We're against sin. We were never against each other. And I think as we continue to strive for that attitude, we're going to see amazing things happen in the church. And I'm super excited about it. And I feel like the brethren are all for it from the, the statements they've come out with, the way they've changed their website, the things they're encouraging in conference. I'm just, I'm super pumped about it. I am too. It's a, while it's a challenging time in many ways to be alive, I often describe it as the best of times and the worst of times, as Dickens did <laughs> in his classic novel. There are a lot of things that are challenging in this time, but we have so much to look forward to. And I, I believe that that is a huge part of it, as you suggested, that learning to see one another and allowing ourselves to be seen so that we can become a Zion people. That is what will help us gather Israel, is as we become transparent and authentic, truly connected as we share 
in each other's successes and challenges. So thank you, Julie, for for being a spokesman for for that and um, being one who is living that. This is the final question that I always ask, Julie. You've had some hard things in your life, and I'm sure, as we all do, have had some opportunities to to ask yourself, am I inner or am I out? Is it worth it? But ultimately, why are you still rowing and choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ? I am still rowing because I have never found anything better. I have looked and I have found truth and I have found light and I have found gospel and it all brings me back to my faith and it only makes what I believe in this restored church better. It turns on a light to principles to help me understand them in a way that I never understood them before. All the truth that I have gathered just makes me know with more sureness, not less, that this is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And I expect to see people around me, people in history fail because we're human beings. But what it comes down to is, did Joseph Smith see God the Father and Jesus Christ? Is the Book of Mormon true? And I believe they are. And so for me, I will continue to pray and to look for the witnesses that I can find of God's love all around me. And I will continue rowing because this is where I want to be. This is where I have found an accumulation of truth. And I am excited because I continue to see more and more in truth be unfolded and the gospel to become bigger to me than it ever was. I didn't give it enough credit for how far reaching Jesus Christ's doctrine is. It can handle anything. It is, it's truth. It is reality. And I'm so happy to, to just be able to be a recipient of all that knowledge and to be here in the church. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you for your testimony, for your faith. You're doing good things. So keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're all, we're all a little surprised and shocked and excited to see what happens. <laughs> God is good. This is definitely not, was not the plan I had for myself. Well, thanks again, Julie. Appreciate your time. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor is this podcast affiliated with the church. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to receive updates on future episodes. You can submit comments or questions at stillrowing.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.